All right. Well, hello, Antioch. If you could take a seat, uh, we are going to jump into the scripture today. My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here and so thankful that you're with us today, worshiping the people of God gathered in the presence of God, singing the praises of God. And just as I think over the last few weeks, I know that I've been really encouraged and I know that many of you have been as well as we have been studying the faithfulness of God. We've seen God's faithfulness to provide. We've seen God's faithfulness to follow through on his promises. We've seen God's faithfulness in leading us. And what's so amazing about these truths is that when we live from this place of knowing and acknowledging and being assured of God's faithfulness, it allows us to live with courage. It allows us to not just play it safe, but we can live with courage because we know we have a heavenly father who is looking out for us. It allows us to live with generosity because we know we have more resources than just what we can put together because we have a provider. It allows us to live with hope for the future because we know that God is faithful to his promises. It allows us to live with joy and peace in the midst of what we're going through because we know that God is a good leader. When we live from that place, we live fully alive in our relationship with God. And we live fully alive in our just life on this planet. These are rich truths that we want to sink deep into and live from. And as I shared with you when we began this series, the faithfulness of God is one of those things like a guitar that our hearts need to be retuned to over and over and over again to remind ourselves of his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness. And today I want to speak with you for a moment on, on the reason why we so often need to be retuned to this issue. Uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 8 today, so if you can turn in your Bibles, we've been in Luke chapter 9. We're going to take a step back into Luke 8. Uh, as a church, we are going through the gospel of Luke. And uh, in this portion of scripture that we've been reading, we've been reading stories about God's faithfulness. And there's one that I want to take you to that we skipped over. And then we'll be back where we left off in Luke 9 next week. But we're working through the entire gospel of Luke over the coming weeks. As you're getting there, we're going to be in Luke 8:22. I want to tell you about an amazing thing that we're doing this summer. Last week, you heard about Antioch Kids Camp that was coming up. I was so encouraged because uh, Ellen said that she was believing, our children's pastor was believing for 10 people to uh, sign up to be counselors at this camp. And I believe she got 20 responses just off Sunday. So that was awesome. So way to go on responding. And uh, in addition to the kids camp, we're also going to be offering a church-wide mission trip this summer to Tijuana, Mexico. We have a sister church in Tijuana, an Antioch church that's there, and we're going to be going. Whoever would like to come, you're welcome to apply. Uh, families, kids, this is that kind of trip. We're going to go and we're going to work with our sister church in Tijuana, and we're going to be pouring into them and sharing the gospel and serving people and really trying to uh, partner with what they're doing there. Part of our vision, right, is that we want to be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom here in our city but also in our nation and the nations of the earth. And this is one way that we play out that last part of these short-term mission trips. So if you're interested in that, if you're like, man, I've always wanted to go on a mission trip, or maybe it's been a while since you've been on one, or you went on one, but you didn't take your kids, but now you're like, man, my kids are old enough. I'd like to do this. Go check out the website. 
Uh, there's more information about the trip on there, and we'd love to have you be a part. My family, we're going. We'd love to have you there. Okay, Luke chapter 8. The title of our talk today is God is Faithful in the Fight. God is Faithful in the Fight. Uh, you're probably familiar with Mike Tyson, the famous boxer known as Iron Mike, who a uh, big-time boxer in the 80s and 90s and was just an incredible fighter. I remember watching one of his fights against Evander Holyfield, uh, and he just got so into it that he bit off a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear. Like that's how intense he was about fighting. Incredible boxer. What you may not know is that he's also a philosopher. That he said some things over time that have, have some great philosophical advice. I wanna tell you one of his most famous philo philosophical sayings today, and that is this. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And when you look at him, you can understand why, right? What's he trying to say? Well, in boxing, right, you work with your trainer, you develop a plan, you're gonna try and maximize your strengths, play to your opponent's weaknesses. Everybody's got a plan until Iron Mike or someone else punches you right in the mouth and at that point, you know, your plan goes out the window. So I was gonna demonstrate this, if I could just get a volunteer, anybody? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, right? So, <clears throat> right, punch you right there in the mouth and your plan just goes out the window. When we're talking about God's faithfulness, I've seen this time and time and time again, that it's easy for a disciple of Jesus to live with assurance to live with an awareness, to live with an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness when our relationships are going well and they're going the way that we want them to. It's easy to be like, oh man, this is happening and this relationship is going well and this, this girl that I've liked, I asked her out, she said, yes, God is faithful. This guy that I like, he asked me out, God is faithful. She said, yes, all, all those things, right? Friendships, a family, all those things. When relationships are going well, it's easy to live with an assurance and an awareness and an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. When your school or work is going the way that you hoped it would go, when you get into that school or you get into that grad school or your grades are where you want them to be or you get that job offer or you get that promotion or you get that increase at work, whatever it may be, when that is going up and to the right, it's easy to say, oh God, you're faithful when your health is going well, when your wealth is going well, when all of life is just trending in a positive direction, it's easy to live with an awareness and an assurance and an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. Everybody believes God's faithfulness until life punches you in the mouth. And when life punches you in the mouth, when you encounter something that just kind of similar to Iron Mike there knocks you back, knocks you down, throws you for a loop, sends you, lets you see stars, whenever you come into something like that and that comes for us all, whenever that happens, that is the time where our assurance and our awareness and our acknowledgement of God's faithfulness is the most tested, is the most tried, is the most shaken, is the most fragile. It's where we begin to doubt and we begin to question and we begin to wonder and we begin to struggle in that time. And it's actually then when you've been punched in the mouth 
that, that God's faithfulness is most valuable to you. So it's the thing that gets the most challenged. It's the thing that gets banged on the hardest. It's the thing that takes the force of the impact, but it's also the thing that you need the most in that moment. We need God's faithfulness so that we can live with courage and hope and generosity and peace, right? But it's the thing that gets the most shaken when life punches us in the mouth. And that kind of fight happens for all of us. I met with a counselor recently and he said, Zach, you need to understand that life is just hard. Your expectations for life cannot be, well, if I get through these circumstances, then my problems will be solved and life will be easy. He was like, that is a faulty mindset, buddy. Life is hard. So I need to help you learn how to develop resiliency, learn how to handle stress, learn how to handle setbacks so you can live with joy in the midst of challenges. Life is hard for all of us. Fights come for all of us. And it's there when our understanding of God's faithfulness gets the most tested and tried, but it's also there when we need his faithfulness, I might argue, the most. In Luke chapter eight, what we see is the disciples encounter this very type of fight. Life punches them in the mouth. And we're gonna read together and we're gonna learn and we're gonna see uh, what God did, what Jesus did in their midst. Luke chapter eight, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they'd been ministering, he'd been teaching and healing and they were doing all this stuff and they're by a lake and he says, okay, hey, let's travel over to the other side of the lake, right? That was a normal way they'd travel. Many of his disciples were fishermen, so they were used to kind of going by boat. So they got in a boat and they set out. That's verse 22, verse 23. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. So this is a long journey. This is a big lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's very large. And this is going to take a while for them to get across. And so Jesus, after teaching all day, after ministering all day, after healing all day, is going to take a rest. And his disciples are navigating the waters. And after he fell asleep, a squall, which is a severe storm, came down on the lake. So that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So this lake, the Sea of Galilee, is known even today in Israel for its sudden weather shifts. Storms, violent storms can come out of nowhere. It can be sunny in the morning and then torrential downpour by lunchtime. If you're from Texas, you are used to this kind of weather. Hence where we are today, that is cold today and was warm a couple days ago, right? Violent storms would come down on this lake in particular because it's below sea level and it was situated next to some mountains that rose to about 9,000 feet above sea level. And so just the, the cold and hot fronts in there would create violent storms on the lake. And that's what the disciples encountered as they are going across the lake. Now, these are not amateur boatsmen. If I were sailing across this lake, I'm an amateur boatsman, we're in trouble. These disciples, many of them were seasoned fishermen. 
This lake, the Sea of Galilee, they had fished on many times. This is where Jesus called his first disciples in Luke chapter five. This is where he performed the miracle of the miraculous catch right here, Sea of Galilee, where they had been working. This was their home lake. So they were skilled at boating and they were skilled at navigating this lake. They'd probably been doing it their whole lives. And yet in this storm, what they knew and what they had and what they were able to do and what their experience had equipped them with was not enough. The boat was going to be swamped. They were in great danger. Verse 24, the disciples then went and woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Verse 25, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. In Jewish culture, their understanding was that God was the only one with authority over the weather. And here, weather is obeying Jesus. So lights are coming on and questions are coming on. They're trying to piece together who is this man that is in the boat with us? He is a man, but he's more than a man. He is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's God incarnate in our midst. That's what happens. Now, we can learn a number of things from this for the fights that you and I are going to face. And these disciples were to take a number of learning opportunities away from this experience. The first thing that we see is that fights come for everyone. Fights come for everyone. It's a little bit of a surprise that Jesus' disciples are the ones that encounter a storm. Most of the way that we look at life is we think that life somehow kind of works off karma, like you kind of get what you have coming to us. So we understand if people who are doing the wrong thing or are evil or are wicked encounter storms of life. We understand that, that makes sense to us. We understand if people who are foolish, who do dumb things, who didn't pay attention where they needed to pay attention to, didn't show up where they needed to show up to, didn't work like they needed to work to, they encounter storms, it's like, yeah, that's the way life works. It shatters our categories and shatters our boxes when people who are with God, following Jesus, doing the right thing, when they encounter storms, when they encounter fights, when life is hard and something rises up and punches them in the mouth, that makes no sense to us. And this is so important, saints, I want you to hear this. Fights come for us all. Storms come for us all. Sometimes it's because uh, the, the devil brings a storm. And we're gonna read about Jesus casting out demons, people who were oppressed with, with the demonic, and they're in this fight, they're in this storm, and Jesus casts out. Some storms are demonically induced. Some storms are self-induced, right? Uh, what I said, Dave Ramsey calls it stupid tax. You do something dumb, right? You gotta pay a tax on it. We all know that in life. You don't change the oil on your car for a long time, your car breaks down. It's kind of like, well, that's stupid tax, right? Self-induced trials. You don't want those. You don't want self-induced storms. 
But there's a third category of what we're seeing here. <laughs> it's that these disciples, they, they're in a storm, and yes, Jesus is with them, but realize they're in the storm because they're with Jesus. They're following Jesus. Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And the only reason they are in this storm, the only reason they are in this fight was because they were with him. If they'd have done their own thing and said, no, you know, it looks like it's going to storm. That lake is a little choppy. We're going to go this way. If they'd have done their own thing, they wouldn't have encountered this storm. But because they were with him, they encountered the storm. They encountered the fight. And you and I need to understand this because if we live with the illusion that if we just follow God, then there will be no more storms in our lives, no more fights in our lives. When things are hard, our response will be, this is unfair. This is not right. God, I thought I was following you. I thought the sign of your favor on my life was the absence of fights. How many of you know the favor of God is on these disciples' lives and yet they are still right in the middle of a fight right in the middle of a storm. We need to have a perspective shift. It's been said that you're either coming out of a fight, in the middle of a fight, or about to go into a fight, right? Fights come for us all. We see they come for these disciples. I wanted you to show you in the Gospel of Mark. Mark records the same story. He provides a little bit different uh, analysis or a commentary or a, a, an explanation of what's going on. He records it just a little bit differently. Mark chapter four, verse 35, and this sheds some light on what we can learn here and what these disciples needed to learn. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. This is Mark four thirty-five, recounting the same story. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall came up. So same trajectory here and the waves broke out over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and look what they said. They said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So we get a little insight into what they're saying. Luke doesn't record that part, Mark does. Jesus, we're in a fight, we're in a storm, don't you care? How many of us have prayed that prayer in our lives? Such a natural response when the storms of life come. And yet Jesus, I believe, is intentionally leading them into this storm to teach them something. Because they are going to encounter many storms in their discipleship to Jesus. All of these disciples in the boat with Jesus are going to be deeply persecuted for their discipleship to him. They're going to suffer incredible loss because of following him. They're going to be martyred for their faith. They are going to encounter storms. And so often when we're in storms, it's like, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see this? Don't you see what's going on? Why are you not doing anything? That's the natural response that just comes up and it comes up for them. It's probably come up for you. I know it's come up for me when the storms and when the fights come and that assurance, assurance of God's faithfulness when they're watching Jesus heal and provide and work miracles is now shaken 
under the winds of the storms that are coming at them. We learn something powerful here. They come to Jesus and they say, don't you care? They come to him and their feelings are telling them one message. He doesn't care. He, he, he's failed. He's disappeared. He, what, what, what's happened? That's what their feelings are telling them. That's what they're feeling. And we, and we can learn from this and we need to know this, that your feelings, while they're important, they will fail you in the fight. Your feelings will fail you when you're in the fight. Their feelings failed them. Their feelings were not good indicators of what was actually going to happen. Their feelings were not a good read on this particular situation. Doesn't mean that all feelings are bad, but what we need to realize, when you're in the fight, when I'm in the fight, when these disciples are in the storms of life, our feelings will fail us but God's faithfulness will not. Their feelings are all over the place, but God's faithfulness is steady. It's assured, it's right there. Your feelings, my feelings, they'll fail us in the fight. I have an old car. Anybody drive an old car, like 2000? We got any 2000s? We got a few? Okay, thank you for those 2000 car drivers. You realize if you have an older car, as it ages, things work a little differently than maybe it did when it was, you know, a, a, young, a young child. So uh, in my particular car, the dashboard, which has different warning lights and gauges that are supposed to alert you appropriately when, you know, your, your coolant is low or your engine is overheated or your gas is, you know, on the way out, they're supposed to work appropriately. As the car is aged, uh, they just, they don't work the same way that they used to anymore. So if you were to get into my car, you would freak out because there's like every warning light that you can imagine is shining, flashing all the time, you know, and you'd be like, good night, is this okay? And really, I can just tell you all those lights are faulty. They don't, they don't tell you the truth anymore. I learned this the hard way. There are a couple gauges though that do work on my dashboard that you do need to pay attention to. Because for a while I was like, man, this whole thing is off, except the speedometer, that's important. Everything else just doesn't seem like it's working right. But then I learned my car overheated and I learned, oh, if I look at that uh, engine temperature gauge, that still works because it was telling me it was overheated, right? But my car tells me it's overheated all the time on the electronic, you know, warning signs. But I need to watch that temperature gauge. I learned what I need to look at. I learned what I need to pay attention to. I learned what I need to focus on. And if I look at that, like yesterday, I looked at it and I saw the temperature was up. I know that I need more coolant because I have a little coolant leak, so I know what to do to solve that. That gauge told me that. But if I just went off my dashboard warning lights, I'd have something wrong all the time that's not there. Our feelings in the midst of storms and in the midst of fights often work like the, the warning lights on my dashboard where they start firing all kinds of messages that are not true, that are not accurate, that are not based in reality. And just like with my car, I've needed to look, oh, I need to pay attention to this warning light. What we need to do when we're in the fight, what these disciples needed to do was not pay attention to their feelings, but to pay attention to God's faithfulness. That's where their eyes needed to be set. That's what was going to set 
with the course of what was going to happen was God's faithfulness, not what they felt in the moment. Teacher, don't you care? That's what they felt. What they saw, God's faithfulness, was that he was going to be with them in the storm, deliver them in the storm, care for them in the storm. That's God's faithfulness. I want you, as you're taking notes today, I want you to save this in a folder, in your journal, on your Evernote, on your phone, with a little note. When life punches me in the face, look at this. Because you need to remember that. When the storm comes and when you get punched, I want you to say, man, my feelings are important. They're valuable. I need to acknowledge them, but they're not the focus of where I'm looking. I've got my eyes set, my heart set, my mind set on the faithfulness of God. I'm preaching to somebody in here today. This is for you. So let's respond a little bit. We need our eyes set on the faithfulness of God. Anybody in here Little House on the Prairie fans? Read some Little House on the Prairie books? Okay, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's the story of a pioneer family in kind of early days of America and they're kind of out on the frontier living life and the daughter and the family wrote these journals about their experiences. We've read them to our kids. We've watched the TV shows. You probably have two. And there's one scene, they're up north and it's the middle of winter and they encounter a blizzard. And they have a house that they've built out of wood and they've got a barn that they built and the animals are in the barn and it's separated from the house. So here's the house, here's a gap, here's the barn. The blizzard comes and they move all their cows and they move their chickens and they move all their kind of livestock into the barn. They're in the house, the blizzard comes. And you realize they're facing a significant problem because in the middle of the blizzard, in the middle of the storm, visibility is really low. They describe it that you can't see, if you stick your hand out, you can't see your hand at the end of your arm. And yet they have to make it across this uh, open space to the barn in order to feed their animals during the blizzard, the multi-day blizzard. Because if the animals aren't fed and they die, then that sets them incredibly back for the spring that was to come. So this is a very difficult situation. And if you go out in the blizzard and you think, well, I know where the barn is, but everything looks the same in the middle of the storm. You can't tell up from down. You can't tell left from right. You don't know. You'll get turned around, disoriented. You're so cold and your eyes are hurting. And it's just, right? They just said, it's commonplace in their day for people to wander off thinking, oh, I'm almost to the barn and end up in the middle of nowhere and freeze to death. So what do they do? They set up a rope between the barn and the house before the storm came. And when it came time to feed the animals, they'd walk out, you'd walk out of the house and you get out there and you realize, oh man, I can't see straight, I can't think straight, I, the, everything, which way to go, which way to go, but I've got this rope. And so I know if I hold on to the rope, as I walk through the snow, as I walk through the storms, though my feelings may say go here or go there, though my perspective and my mind may tell me elsewhere, I know if I hold on to the rope, it is going to lead me where I need to go. It is going to lead me into my purpose. It's gonna lead me to where God has for me. It's gonna lead me when I'm coming back. It's gonna lead me home. It's gonna lead me through the storm. Saints, that rope for us in the storms of life, in the fights of life, is the faithfulness of God. Yeah. 
And when you're in the fight, I want you to remember the rope and I want you to hold on to the rope. And I want you to say, regardless of what my mind tells me right now, regardless of what my feelings tell me right now, regardless of what it looks like in front of me, because it didn't look good for them, for these disciples. But they had a faithful rope with them, Jesus Christ, the faithful one. Hang on to the rope and let it guide you. Your feelings will fail you in the fight, but God's faithfulness will not. Jesus, they come to him, and this is so cool. Uh, you know, their faith level is very little at this point. Like their prayer of faith is, teacher, don't you care about us? That's their level of faith, right? Jesus is so good that he steps up and intervenes, even with their weak faith. Even when they're faithless, he remains faithful. Isn't that amazing? Well, sometimes we think we gotta have this perfect faith and I gotta say it the right way and do it the right way and just, and here, Jesus, don't you care about us? Just that little lean toward him. He's that good. He's that faithful. So I wanna encourage you that you have a faithfulness that's greater than your own ability to have faith in the fight that you can rely on. And God's goodness is that expansive. So you don't have to have it perfect and just be this hero of the faith for God to be faithful to you. That's good news for somebody today, myself and you included. But what I want you to see is what Jesus says to them next. He rebukes the the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsides, all was calm. Verse 25, he says, where is your faith? Where? Is your faith, he asked the disciples. So it's interesting that Jesus was willing to be faithful and was willing to be good and was willing to provide and was willing to come through for them in the storms of life, even when they had little faith. And yet Jesus wanting to develop something in them. He's wanting not just to come through for them and get them out of trouble, but he's wanting to develop their faith. He speaks to them about the quality and the placement and where is your faith. And this is significant because you can tell that Jesus has an expectation on them that they would have faith. Why would Jesus have an expectation that as these disciples go through this storm that their faith in him would be strong? Why is that? Because in the kingdom, and please hear me, in the kingdom, the way that we grow in faith is not by meditating on our fears and our anxieties and our what ifs and what abouts and just kind of dwelling on that. In the kingdom, the way that we grow strong in faith, we believe God is growing us into oaks of righteousness, people of strong faith. The way that we grow strong in faith is that we fuel ourselves on God's faithfulness. The disciples, because of what they'd been through with Jesus, because of the miracles that they had seen, because of the way that Jesus had provided, because of the power on his life, the way that he loved people, the things that they had seen were meant to build their faith for what they were facing in the future. That was meant to be their fuel. 
Any of you ever have a situation that you go through where you're like, I cannot undo what I just saw? Any of y'all? I have one. Um, there's this TV show called Hotel Impossible. And this gentleman goes around and he works with struggling hotels. And I've seen like one or two episodes. So I don't know much about the show, but on the one I watched, it, it, I saw something I could never unsee. He goes into a hotel. It looked really clean to me. It looked really nice. It looked like a place that you'd want to stay. And he had this black light device that they turned off the lights and they turned this thing on and it showed you the um, bacteria, the sheets, the pillow, the chair, the sink, the bat. I mean, everything was just coated in bacteria. And then he starts leaning in. You couldn't tell this with your natural eye, but he starts leaning in to the management. And it's like, how often do y'all clean this place? And you found out that they did not clean between every guest. They didn't change the sheets between every guest. So gross. I saw something and literally every hotel that I have been in since, that's all I can think about. And it makes me not want to go in any hotels. It makes my car look more appealing than a hotel because of what I've seen. These events that the disciples had been through with Jesus, the way they had seen him be faithful was meant to be things for them that they could not unsee later. But it was meant to be an experience that changed the way they looked at what came their way in the future. When we take time to feed and to fuel ourselves on the faithfulness of God, when we let his faithfulness to us be our fuel, that's how our faith is built. Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. It will have enough problems of its own. I was meditating on that this week and I realized it's because the faith that I need for today is based on my experiences with God up until this point. But the faith that I need for tomorrow, I need my faith that's built today to be ready for tomorrow. So I can't get out over my skis. I can't get ahead of myself, right? I need to go step by step because God is developing my faith. He's growing my faith. Think about working out right? How muscles are built. It's slow. It's steady. It's building over time. Jesus wants to build your faith, but the way that your faith was built, and I so struggled with faith, but I've realized I've made my, my, my pipes, my water system, what I meditate on and what I think about when I'm in the fight, when I'm in the storm, what I think about are my anxieties. What I think about are my fears. What I think about are my what ifs and why is this? And don't you care? That's what I dwell on. And then I expect to have faith and I don't have any. But when I say, no, that's not the fuel for my faith. The what ifs, the fears, they're all there. They're relevant. They're important at some level. But where I am setting my gaze, where I'm feeding off of my fuel source is the faithfulness of God to me, not my fear. So when you're in the storms, I want you to take time to focus in on the faithfulness of God. Look, the world tells you that when you are in the fight, you need to look more deeply within. When the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? You need to look within, you find another gear, you find strengths you didn't know you had, you find giftings, you, all that stuff. That's true if you're an orphan. If you're an orphan, you have no one to help you. 
You do have to look within. It's all you got. Saints, you are not orphans. You are sons and daughters. You have a father. So rather when you're in the fight, when you're in the storm, rather than looking more deeply within, I want you to look more deeply at him. I want you to look at him and I want you to remember your father. I took my son uh, to watch the, the Texas Tech game last night at Buffalo Wild Wings. He was in heaven. He'd never been there before. He was so, he was like, man, food. And I let him have root beer. We don't ever have root beer. I let him have two, you know, the whole bit. He's just in heaven. He's like, dad, I didn't imagine there'd be so many TVs in here. This is amazing. Can I work here when I get older? You know, a young boy, sports, food, whatever. Um, but anyway, so he's looking at the menu and he's like, hey, uh, dad, you know, on the wings, dad, I want to get these, these ones that says like atomic level spicy. He likes spicy things. It says like, eat these at your own risk. Like that's the asterisk on. He's like, that's what I want. I'm like, buddy, let, let's, let's lower down a little bit here. Let's get Buffalo mild. Let's start there. Like it's down at the, like on the, the baby side of the deal. Let's get Buffalo mild. Okay, okay. So we get it. We eat a few and, and his face is like turning splotchy because even though it's on the mild, it is, there's some heat on these things. And he's my kid that likes spicy stuff. And it was, I could just tell he was really bothered. And then he was feeling embarrassed. And then he was feeling disappointed because he's like, we have this big thing and I've got this food, but now I don't like it. And it's, it's really bothering me, but I don't want, there's all this stuff, all this stuff's going on inside. For him, this was a little storm. This was a little fight. It was. He'd had his hopes set on this deal. Oh man, that, that's a nine-year-old version, but you and I both know we have adult versions of that where we have our hopes set on this is how it's going to be and it's going to go like this and it's going to be like this. And then it's a too spicy and we're like, <sighs> and we start feeling disappointed and we start feeling sorry for ourselves. But guess what? His dad is right there. His dad's observing. Eli didn't even have to tell me that it was too spicy. I saw the splotchiness. It's like, hey, buddy. You know, he's trying to look tough. I'm like, hey, buddy, is this a little too spicy? He's like, yeah. And I could tell it was bothering him. So I was like, look, man, here. I didn't tell him, well, just dig deeper within. You got to deal with it. I said, hey, man, I'm the one that invited you here. I'm the one that's paying. I'm going to go take care of this. We got him, you know, the, the baby, 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 uh, you know, <laughs> deal. He was happy. That's a microcosm, though, that I want you to remember. You're not orphans. If he was an orphan, it's too spicy. It's not going right. It's falling apart. You just got to figure it out on your own. Dig deeper within. You're not orphans. You have a father. And when he's initiated with you and he's called you into something, he's watching and he's paying attention and he's with you and he's not going to fail you. It may not come at the time. I imagine these disciples wish that Jesus could have just rebuked the storm when it was way over there rather than on them. It may not come in your timing but his faithfulness is coming. It may not come in your expectation. I don't think any of them expected that Jesus was gonna stand up and rebuke the storm, right? By their response, they're amazed, they're dumbfounded. They're like, who is this man? None of them expected that. Faith is not a certainty or a conviction that things are going to work out in a certain way. It's not a certainty or a conviction of an outcome. Faith is an assurance or a conviction of the faithfulness of God. That even though I may not know how this is gonna work out, even though it may work out a little differently than I planned, or God may do something completely outside of my box, I can bank on his faithfulness in the fight. 
even if my expectations are, oh, whoa, that didn't work out the way. God's going to do above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. Amen. I, I could go on about this. Um, Maybe I, maybe I will. You can stay for the second service. I don't have, I don't have a time limit on the back of that. Oh, man. Um, so good. I'm, I'm going to close with this. If you'll pull up 1 Samuel 17, 37. This is a principle that, guys, we can carry with us and steward to help us in the fights and the storms that come our way. 1 Samuel 17, 37. David, famous King David, He's going out. He's about to fight Goliath, the giant. David, the young boy. If you grew up in church, this was your felt board story, right? And Saul, who is the king, who is a large man himself and very impressive, accomplished in battle. He's the one that should be going out to fight the giant. He's the one that's afraid, right? David, the little boy, is the one going out to fight in Saul's place. And Saul asks him, he's like, hey, how do you think you're going to be able to do this? Look what David says. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David had been a shepherd and he had encountered, as a shepherd, he had encountered lions trying to attack his sheep. And he said, the Lord delivered him from the lion. He was able to overcome the lion. He'd encountered bears who were doing the same, trying to destroy his sheep. And the Lord had delivered him from the bear. So his logic, and this is the logic of faith, is the Lord who is faithful here and faithful here, he will be faithful here. And that's what I want to leave you with today. We have an opportunity before us when the storms come, when the fights come, to remember that God is faithful in the fight. To say, my feelings may fail me, but God's faithfulness will not. And to set our eyes and to fuel our faith and his past faithfulness in our lives. That's why thankfulness is so important because it allows us to see the faithfulness of God at work in our midst and prepares us for the storm that's coming in the future. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to respond by taking communion together, taking the Lord's Supper, and then responding in worship. When we come to take communion, I want to remind you of Christ's body that was broken for you that Jesus gave himself so that you and I could be delivered from the storm of sin and death. I want to remind you of his blood that was shed for you, that you and I could experience forgiveness and experience new life. And our power source to be able to live this out is not relying on our own strength, but it's coming to him who is faithful as we come and take communion and looking to him and relying on him. And he's the one, it's his faithfulness that's going to equip us for the fights that we face. Before we do that, I'd like to ask everyone just to bow your heads for just a moment. A lot of times we have people uh, coming to our services that are seeking, that wouldn't say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not, I don't know that I'm a, where I'm at in my faith, but I'm, I'm hungry and I'm interested and I'm trying to figure things out. Or we have people who at one time were uh, walking with the Lord. They were in church, they were believing and something happened and they fell away. They fell off and they're trying to make their way back. Sometimes it's called a prodigal coming home. And I just wanna take a moment, if that's you, if you're here today and you're, you, you've had questions and you're seeking, 
but you've decided today, man, I wanna make Jesus, this Jesus, this faithful Jesus, this good Jesus, I wanna make him the Lord of my life. I wanna say, I wanna stop getting out of the drivers, uh, driving my own life, and I want him to be in the driver's seat. I wanna make him my king. If that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond here in just a moment. And if you're a prodigal, if it's been a long time and you're trying to make your way back, what I love about God is he doesn't say, hey, get clean and then come to me. He comes to you and he cleans you up with his grace and with his love. And so you've taken a step. He's already taken a thousand, your direction, and his arms are wide open. So if that's you, either that for the first time or this is kind of like a recommitment or a returning, if that's you, if every eye could be closed, every head bowed just for a moment of privacy, that's you, if you could raise your hand, I wanna pray with you. We're not gonna call you out or put your name on a screen or turn a spotlight on. Just between you and me, just wanna give you an opportunity to respond. If you stick your hand up just so I can see you and we're gonna to pray together. All right, if everybody would bow their heads. If you had your hand up, want to pray with you, want to encourage everyone just to join in. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. Thank you that you rose again to give us new life. I put my trust in you and commit to follow you all of my days. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to come forward and receive communion when you're ready.
Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim. 